it was in the early 2000s, actually around 2003, that a, a friend of mine who owned a car dealership in Lakeland, Florida, told me that there was an exciting new car coming out. And uh, uh, he sold several brands of cars. It was sort of an auto mall. There was Fords and, and Isuzu's and, and uh, other cars. But he also had a Mazda dealership. And uh, he said there was an exciting new Mazda car coming out called the RX-8 and it looked great. He showed me a picture, and uh, he said it's, it's, it's a reiteration of, of a special engine that Mazda put together. They had the RX-7. It, it was a, uh, an engine called a rotary engine, and uh, it was totally different uh, in terms of construction from, from a normal. I thought, wow, I looked at the car. I thought that would be so fun to have as my own, and, and uh, I, I went to the uh, internet and looked up the, the engine that it would be. It's called a Wankel engine after the, uh, after the, the creator. And uh, the internet told me that the Wankel engine is a type of internal combustion engine using an eccentric rotary design to convert pressure into rotating motion. Doesn't that sound great? I had no idea what that meant, but it sounds so cool. And over the commonly used reciprocating piston designs, the Wankel engine delivers advantages of simplicity and smoothness compactness, high revolutions per minute, and a high power to weight ratio. Doesn't that sound great? And it was a beautiful car. And I remember going home and, and uh, getting the, the picture of that car. It wasn't even, it wasn't even out yet. They just had, had the uh, promotion. It, it hadn't been delivered to any dealerships in the States. And I printed out a picture and I took it into my office and I put it in a special drawer and I said, this car one day, I want this car to be mine because uh, it, it just was so exciting. Sure enough, my friend called me the, the, the day that it was delivered. He said, they're in. I went down, drove down to Lakeland. There was a red one, which is really cool. And uh, I got in the car. I, I, the only problem I had is I didn't know if I'd fit in. I've got a long torso, I didn't know I'd fit. But I laughed out loud as I was driving the car down the road, test driving it. I fit perfectly, the car was made for me. I bought it. It, there was a, it was one of the first ones on the road in Central Florida. People would point at me as I drove by. They wondered what the car was. It was the most exciting car on the road. And because I was driving it, I was the most exciting driver on the road. I looked great in this car, right? There's, a, there's just one problem when it came to meeting my expectations long term. The RX-8 really didn't deliver, didn't deliver at all. We all want to have exciting lives. We all want to have lives that are exceptional. We would like people to, to see our lives as something that's, that's uh, out of the ordinary. We're in a book that tells us, book in the Bible, that tells us that we are an exceptional people. And if you were here the last few weeks as we, we looked over this beautiful first chapter of the book of Ephesians, we talked about the fact that you and I were made for a purpose and that we have the ability to be connected to resurrection power. And today we're going to look at a passage that's one of the clearest explanations of the gospel in all of Scripture, the good news of what the Bible has to say. And Paul's taken us into the heavenly realms, talked to us concerning the blessings that we have as believers in Jesus, themes of adoption, and redemption and enlightenment and inheritance are beautifully and profoundly rendered. And now, in the beginning of chapter 2, Paul brings us to the gospel story, and he presents it 
in a beautiful and profound way. So if you have your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 2, it's also on your bulletins. I'd like to read uh, the passage starting with verse 1 of chapter 2 through verse 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is God's word. Paul makes this transition now in, in Ephesians chapter 2, and he begins with these words, as for you. And I don't know if you have people ever look at you and say those words. Usually those words in my memory, my past, are uttered by parents and principals and IRS agents. As for you. And there is this sort of sense in what Paul is saying now, because Paul now personalizes this, this, this beautiful theology that he's, he's created for us in chapter 1. And he's saying, okay, how do we fit in? How do we fit in? We all have a story, all of us. I remember years ago, a man by the name of Russ looked me in the eye and he said, what's the most important thing you can do with the rest of your life? I was just graduating from college. It was, it was a profound question. I'd never been asked that before. And, and he was the first person in my life that challenged me with the fact that I was writing the story of my life. And really what he was asking me is what is your story going to be? What's your story going to be? We all have a story. So here really is the gospel. And, and, and I think as I read it, it's, it's Paul does the gospel in, in three parts. <clears throat> and this gospel in these three parts intersects all of our lives. It has to do with each of us. So there are Two words and one two-word phrase that sum up these three parts, and I want to share those with you. Begins, of course, in the first part of this chapter. He says, as for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Interesting way to start a summary of the gospel, isn't it? Sort of a counterintuitive way to start. He doesn't start with, with, with the joy of it. He starts with the reality of where we are. We have in and of ourselves, spiritually, no life at all in and of ourselves. What Paul's saying is, and what reality shows us, that our physical lives can exist in spiritual deadness. Alive physically, but dead inside. And the irony of all of our stories is, is that they begin, really, with death. And it's counterintuitive because we're alive physically, but there is something in us that isn't quite right. In fact, it's not there at all. Matthew Henry, in commenting on this passage, says, sin is the death of the soul. 
And he uses two descriptors, trespasses and sins. Trespasses, literally false steps that we make, the, the things that we do that are wrong. And, and the, the sins, hamartias, is, is indicative of the innate death, the corruption that each of us has without a relationship with God. I had this dream car, I drove home, everything was great for the first month. It was really good. And uh, I went to gas stations and people would comment on my car and I was feeling very special. Then one morning I got up, went to my garage, uh, got in my car and uh, turned the ignition and nothing. It's a brand new car, nothing. Now, if you own an RX-8, I'm sure they fixed the problem by now. Uh, I don't know if you do or not. It's no criticism on Mazda. I own a Mazda now. But here I am, a brand new, and I, it, and, and I opened the hood and looked down, and it's a rotary engine. I, have no, I don't even know about regular engines, let alone rotary engines. I'm looking in, I'm going, what can I do? There was not a noise when I turned that ignition. And I remember getting out of the car and uh, closing the door, and looking at it and, and realizing that today it would not be the most exciting car on the road, nor would I be the most exciting driver on the road. See, because a car that doesn't start is dead and didn't move an inch on its own power. And I looked at the beautiful lines of this car and the great construction of it, but a car that doesn't start really isn't worth much at all. It was dead. You and I were created in the image of God. Each of you was created in a special way. We're unique in our lines, in our construction, in our color. But spiritually, we are marred, not just marred. We're alive, but we are dead without God. Paul goes on and says, these transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and, the, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. The, the, the original text has actually these words, we were children of wrath. We were sort of born into this family that really had this endemic problem, this problem that we couldn't get away from. We were by nature children of wrath. We deserved our, our inheritance as God's anger and his separation from us. I remember years ago when I was in my early 20s first realizing that there wasn't anything really that I could do in my own efforts to, to make myself happy and make myself acceptable to God. I, I, I tried, I really did. I tried to make myself better. I tried to be a better person, a nicer person, do nice things to people. But there was always this, this fatal flaw that took me back to the self-centeredness that all of us struggle with. And I remember coming to a point where I realized I had to do away with the false coping mechanisms of denial and comparison and resignation. I guess it's just this way, and that's the way I am. I heard it described earlier this week. I was talking to someone who's going through a very dark time, and, and he's having a real struggle in terms of who he is spiritually. And he's made bad decision after bad decision. And he described it this way. 
He says, I'm in a dark tunnel. It's like I'm in a dark tunnel and I cannot find my way out. And Paul wants you and me, really the spirit through Paul wants you and me to realize that there is nothing in us, there is nothing in me that's deserving of God's love because I am spiritually dead. As for us, we were dead. I, as I've grown older, and maybe it's geared to my demographic, but I have sort of enjoyed watching infomercials. I don't know if you get into infomercials. Do you like infomercials? I, I, I'm fascinated by some of the products that they sell on TV. Um, they sell pans. Uh, they have these nifty pans out now. They don't scratch at all. They, they, they put bolts in these pans and fry bolts and, and they shake them around. There's no scratches. They run cars over these pans and, and, and uh, they don't bend at all. I mean, I'm fascinated by that. Isn't that something? They have hoses that, that come in little balls like this and you, you, you put them on the spigot and turn on the water and they, they automatically go out to, to 30, 60 feet and then they just roll back up when they're done. I just think that's the coolest thing. There, there's all sorts of knives that they sell. There's veggie shredders that they do. I mean, it's just, I'm always fascinated. And, and uh, I have only succumbed to two infomercials in my life. One was disastrous. The other I'm very proud of. The disaster was the, uh, I, I bought uh, battery-powered sweepers, electric sweepers that swept floors. And I got them, and uh, they, it was dismal. They both lasted for an hour. I threw them both away. <laughs> But then, I, you know, we have a ceramic uh, stovetop, and uh, I've, there was an infomercial, and it had the Simonized My Cleaning Secret. And uh, I, I ordered that, and I'm telling you, that gets my stovetop beautifully clean. I just want to share that with you. Now, every infomercial, at least the way they made them, I haven't heard it lately, but every infomercial, they'll present the product, and then they will get to a point, and then they will, they, they, it's, you're all excited about it, and then they will say two words that are just fantastic to hear. Do you know what those two words are? Anyone guess? Those two words, every information. The two words are, but wait. <laughs> and just when you think you've got the most exciting product going, they double it or triple it or do whatever they can <laughs> to get you to call that number to buy that product that you'll probably throw away in two weeks like I did with my sweepers, right? Now... Here's where, here's where Paul is. He starts this chapter going, hey, this is sobering. These are sobering words. We were all by nature children of wrath. All by nature dead. That's the first word in, the, in, in, in this gospel story, dead. And now he uses the second two words, the second part. He says, but God. In fact, the NIV uh, in, in their translation doesn't quite get it the way the Greek is. The New American Standard Bible has the best translation in terms of the order of words. And if, when you study Greek, uh, anytime a sentence begins, the, uh, the words that are up front are the most important words in that sentence. And Paul, in his excitement, he uses these words, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. <clears throat> but God. The Greek actually is, is uh, quite striking when you read it. I, 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 I like it. The, the words are ode theos. Ode theos. But God. In fact, let's learn some Greek tonight. Can you say that back to me? It's a good, nice, nice thing to remember. But God. Say it with me. Ode 
theos. That was very anemic. Let's try it again. I want everyone to say it. Ready? Ode theos. Good side. A little weak over here. One more time over here, everybody. Ode theos. But God. It's a gospel story. Dead, but God. And he has all the excitement, more than the excitement of that announcer on an infomercial, but wait, he's saying, look, there's something that's exciting in this thing we call the gospel because God intervenes in our lives. I have over, I'm overwhelmed with hopelessness. Ode Theos. I have no one I can trust. Ode Theos. I have no answers to, to this problem. Ode Theos. I have nowhere to turn. Ode Theos. Paul explains it further in verse 7 of, of, of this chapter. He says, In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. There's mercy and grace because God shows up in our lives. God being rich in mercy. Dead, but God. And then the last point that he makes that explains the, the gospel story is probably the most exciting, alive. Starting with verse 5. He made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. To verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. We're made alive together with Christ. The, the word... Uh, combines three Greek words, soon, with, zao, a live thing, and poeo, to make or construct something. What, what Paul is saying is what God has done for you and me is he's taken his son as that sacrifice for us, and together with him we are made alive spiritually through what he has done for us. Poeo, uh, talking, uh, it's translated to create or make or construct, is, is the... Greek word that we get our word poem, poemo. You know, when I, when I was in uh, college, uh, I began to write poetry. I just wanted to share that with you. I, I, I uh, don't know why I started. I just started one day, and I, I would fill notebooks with poetry. I just would write and sit in the student union, skip classes, and write poetry. I thought that was really a very profound thing to do. <laughs> I, I remember my first uh, poem, I memorized it. I'd like to share it to you with you now. Uh, in the twilight of life, one will stop in his stumbles, ordinarily steps, and pass amazingly to dimensions distant and quaint. That's it. That's all there is. Uh, I know it probably doesn't equal Dickinson or Keats or Shelley or anything like that, but it didn't deter me from writing more poetry. And here's what I like about poetry. I know it's probably not that great in terms of what I wrote, but it's unique because poetry, when you write those words, I don't think any other person in the history of the world has ever written those words in that way. You're probably thinking, well, it's 
pretty obvious they wouldn't, but that's, that's, that's exciting to me. Do you realize God uses this word on purpose? You are his poem. You are his creation. He created you unique. Back in Genesis, God spoke the world into existence. He didn't do anything. Manual, he spoke it out. And because of the fall of Adam, because of the sin that infected humankind, we were born dead spiritually. And now what God's told us is that we are made alive again with Christ. With Christ, God raises us up with him and gives us new life. We're a new creation. There are three steps to this life recorded in, in verse 8. Three, three things that we need to be cognizant of. By grace, that, there, there's that grace that God gives. We are saved through faith. So God's grace, we grab hold of it by our faith, and we come into a relationship with him. We are saved from this death that we were born into. Dead, but God, alive. What's the best gift you've ever been given in life? Think about it. Some of you have longer, lived longer than others, but what's the best gift you've ever been given? I was thinking about that in terms of, you know, all the Christmases I've been through and birthdays and, and uh, outside of my wife giving me th things like my wedding ring and things like that, there, there are other people that have, have given me things that I've treasured. Uh, I've shared with you before, my, my dad uh, gave me the ring that I wear here uh, right before he passed away. And uh, in terms of gifts that are memorable, this is probably outside of my wedding ring, the most important uh, uh, gift that I've received. And it it's, has some value. I've received gifts that are more valuable than, than this ring. But the thing that makes this ring valuable to me is the relationship that it symbolizes. Because all great gifts remind us and reinforce the fact that relationships are the most important thing to us. The gift that God gives establishes a relationship with him. And our responsibility, the only responsibility you or I have, we have no other responsibility. We don't have to clean up our lives. We don't have to do anything but understand what Christ did and put our faith and trust in him. Thank you, my dad, this ring. I've thought, thought of an acquaintance. We had a, a man who was in our church when I was growing up. His name was Dean Picton. Dean was a uh, very successful businessman, owned, owned an insurance agency, quite, quite large. He was an MIT grad, very brilliant man. And uh, my dad, one day, I don't know what the occasion was, but he told me Mr. Picton's story. He said, you know... Uh, he wasn't always uh, a believer. He just came into our church recently, and he was invited to a Christian businessman's luncheon uh, in our city and uh, listened to a speaker after they had their meal, and, and the speaker uh, told about the gospel and got to Ephesians 2.8. And Dean Pickton was sitting in that, that uh, group of, of people and hearing the gospel probably really recognizing it for the first time. And before any prayer, before any invitation, Dean Picton got to his feet and in front of everybody 
put up his hand, and he says, I'll take that. I'll take that. Faith. Paul ends the passage, uh, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork. There's our word again, poema. Where's handiwork? You and I are created. What are we created for? Not just, not just this and not just our, our mind, but we are created for a purpose. What's the purpose? Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Ergon agathoi. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're on vacation recently, and uh, part of our vacation, we went and visited a friend in Oregon, uh, Kaiser, Oregon, right next to Salem, the capital of Oregon. And uh, I was reminded as we were going to visit uh, this friend of ours, my wife and mine, uh, that uh, uh, a longtime friend still lived in Salem. Um, he's a uh, man that he's, he uh, uh, is an orthodontist. I first met him as a student at Moorhead State University in Minnesota. And uh, he wasn't a believer when I met him. I was in campus ministry and uh, shared the gospel with him. He came to faith and uh, began to grow as a believer. So we've kept in contact. You know, I'm not a really good friend in terms of keeping in contact. We'll, we'll do Christmas uh, letters and things like that, write notes on, th on our letters, but that's about the extent of it. I hadn't seen him really probably in over a decade. Four decades ago was the first time I met him. And then our, he went into ministry for a while, and then he went into uh, uh, to dental school and became an orthodontist after that. So I met him for breakfast, and uh, we, we caught up. And uh, he's got two adult sons, one married, some, a grandchild, and, and uh, we were uh, relating. Reed, for the last 30 years, has been the main teacher in the Bible Study Fellowship that, that's there in Salem and uh, is now doing... Uh, some, some work uh, with other Bible study fellowships. He explained that. Yeah, he also said, you know, I've been, been doing some work with foster kids in the Salem area. You know, these poor kids, they don't, they don't have anyone to really take interest in them. And I, I said, well, probably the least thing I could do for them is, is help them out with their teeth. So every foster kid in, in, in that surrounding area that wants braces, he does free of charge. And they come, into, they come into his office, and he said, what I do is, when I get him in the chair, I said, do you know why you're here? And they go, because my teeth are crooked. He goes, no. He says, you're here because of Jesus. You're here because of Jesus. He showed me his office, and we caught up, had a great time. And then right at the end of the time, he looked at me, and he said, you know, um, if you wouldn't have been at that school at the time in my life when I was open to spiritual things, he said, I don't know where I'd be today. And so thanks for being there, and thanks for being a model of someone that I could begin to, to ask questions. And we embraced, and I drove away, and I realized that it's a privilege. And I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, all of us that are called to a relationship with Christ, it is our privilege to be called participate in the good work of God. Your words, your actions, things that you might think are insignificant, God has prepared beforehand for each of you who is a believer to participate in the good work of God.
there is a way to solve the RX-8 rotary engine problem. I found it in Mildren Automotive. You want to hear what they had to say? It's pretty interesting. Uh, it's either low compression in the motor or uh, it needs a new starter motor. I have no idea what a starter motor is, so I just read on. Uh, if, if, you, if you really want to fix the low compression, here's what um, Mildren Automotive says. Have the engine stripped down and rebuilt with new parts. Isn't that helpful? <laughs> Brand new engine. There you go. This should solve your problem at the same time extend the life of your engine. <laughs> Paul, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, stripped down and rebuilt with new parts. The old is gone. The new has come. Dead, but God, alive. I'll take that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this good news. Thank you for your son. Thank you for what he has done for us. And I pray that as we hear these words that uh, if there is anyone here who for the first time is, is hearing these words maybe in a fresh way or maybe for the first time hearing them, that they would respond just by a simple act of faith and put their trust in you. And I also ask, Lord, that uh, for those of us who have made that decision months ago, years ago, decades ago, we would be reminded afresh and anew that we are still in the process of writing that story. And I pray that as those stories are lived out, that we would continue to rejoice in the fact that you showed up and you made us alive. And we give you praise for that. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.